Botox Cosmetic, out of botulinum toxin A, FDA approved for over 20 years. So, talk to your specialist to see if Botox Cosmetic is right for you. For full prescribing information, including boxed warning, visit BotoxCosmetic.com or call 877-351-0300. Remember to ask for Botox Cosmetic by name. To see for yourself and learn more, visit BotoxCosmetic.com. That's BotoxCosmetic.com. Hello ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Tour Catch-Up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Pagula races to the crown in Montreal. Sinner soars to his first ever Masters title. And the Davis Cup Finals team nominations have been announced. Chris, today is the 14th of August and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. Jesse Pagula and Yannick Sinner are your champions in Canada, in Toronto and Montreal. But we're not really going to be thinking about that because we've got Cincinnati already underway. Back-to-back Masters. It's not quite the Sunshine Double with Indian Wells and Miami. And in fact, I don't actually have a name for it. But um, yeah, we're, we're getting much closer, aren't we, to the, the US Open, which I feel is, is slowly coming onto the horizon. Yeah, I mean, at the moment, Sloane Stevens is on court. So I'm immediately in Cincinnati. I'm locked in. I've forgotten that, <laughs> you know, that the last tournaments in Canada happened. Um, so I'm going to have to refresh my well, memory on like, this podcast. Oh, there's overlap. There's yeah, there overlap. is. They played like, on the Sunday. The draws came out on Friday. They played on Sunday. I'm not going to lie. I know like earlier in the season, and we'll get on to this. I know earlier in the season, we were talking about two-week Masters events and we were being very critical, I feel, on the podcast. But at the same time, I'm not going to lie, back-to-back single-week Masters events is also, it doesn't feel very ideal, does it? Particularly with the weather we've seen this week. Well, not if you're Rabakina, but maybe for Novak Djokovic and you only play one or mm, yeah. Linda Noskova who might have had the advantage of that week off having made it to the <laughs> final of Prague on Monday. And that was only a week ago. So time flies, doesn't it? But I wouldn't play both. It's tricky. It is that tricky situation, particularly if you're a top player of, do you play both? Can you play both? Or should you only play one? We're going to be discussing that. As you said, Rebecca, not a particularly happy customer in Montreal, um, but we're going to be discussing all the action from there. We're also going to be discussing all the action from Toronto, as well as what's to come in Cincinnati. Plus, the Davis Cup finals team nominations have been announced, so we're going to be looking over those as well. But before we get into all of that, Chris, what was your, what's been your highlight of the past week? Well, mine is... Based in 2006, um, something that's been circulating (laughs) online. um, I'll get my time machine. Yes, exactly. Deep in the Twitter and the Instagram um, circuits uh, is a picture of Novak Djokovic, of him receiving his first ever title, which was at the Dutch Open in 2006, where he actually won an iPod, an engraved iPod was the trophy. Wow. Um, Which is, I mean, he's obviously kind of since then made probably a little bit more than that and probably can afford to buy his own iPod, doesn't have to win them anymore. (laughs) Probably he's won a few cars along the way. That's probably a collector's item now. I'm thinking, where is it? Does he have it? Um, That's the only thing we haven't had is he hasn't engaged with it. Has he got music on it? 
well, maybe give it to his kid or something <laughs> like that. And we'll see what was on his iPod Ooh, in yeah. 2006. Was it a shuffle? Um, it wasn't mm. a shuffle, I can confirm. I do feel like a lot of tournaments and their trophies, they try and go for like the contemporary look that is always like timeless and it looks the same like 10 years ago and it looks you know the same 10 years in the future but I, i'm not gonna lie i do quite like a trophy that dates very very quickly and perhaps this ipod trophy is probably it's probably one of the ones that has dated the most the most quickly i think on the tour just from a functional perspective i'm not even sure if you can rip something to your itunes anymore so <laughs> Technology has surpassed it. But um, I would say there's another trophy update as well, um, which is in Cincinnati. They've actually updated the very popular sort of grandma vase as it's kind of uh, popular. Oh, I love dubbed. the vase. People they do like vase. it with the sort of the, the mm. foliage going up the side. And now they've kind of made it mm, into a, bit of a yeah. modernized sort of um, landscape sort of. Uh, gradient so it has is it a new vase is it a new new vase vase on the same base i think they just needed to update the base and they thought this was a nice opportunity but that's one that i think i will miss but um (laughs) i don't miss the the ipod um what's caught your attention this week joel well it was a doubles match on the challenger circuit the cordonant challenger uh i think i'm I'm hope i'm saying that correctly uh, in italy and uh this had a doubles match which was pretty spectacular in terms of the match tiebreak at the end we had india's nikki punacha and his australian partner adam taylor win a championship tiebreak from nine love down in the final set tiebreak they won it 11 9 11 points on the bounce that's gotta hurt joel Inevitably, I was reading some of the the comments on social media and, of course, everyone was thinking, like, betting and this is, like, the most obvious uh, match fixing ever. But I watched it and I'm like, these guys just played lights out tennis from 9-0 down. And I was like, that is that just does not happen very often in terms of saving all those match points in a row. Yeah, incredible scenes. Wait, so you're telling me that you watched... All eleven points from the <laughs> from the tiebreak of the challenger in doubles. Wow, Joel. I mean, let's hope you caught some of um, Toronto and Montreal I this am, week look, as well. I'm I'm a tennis diehard fan through and through. I'm not just about the ATP and WTA tours. I'm I'm all about the challenger circuit as well. It's not a competition, Joel, but if it is, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll look, drop down to, to ITF. You can stick to ITFs. Yeah, there you go. You stick to ITFs. But um, yeah, no, really, really, really incredible. And uh, yeah, not something, not something I was sort of uh, expecting. I think the ATP um, social media account suggested, was it the greatest comeback of all time? The stakes weren't that high, I imagine. No. In yeah, the 73,000 exactly. I mean, exactly. euro draw. <laughs> yeah exactly so um yeah a little bit of uh pinch of there but yeah still very impressive nonetheless um but moving on before we get into tennis we actually have a very special announcement don't we at tennis weekly hq we do we actually have two i've got two shout outs one is happy birthday to kim who's not with us this week she is currently about to probably take her seat in the opera Um, in Vienna celebrating her birthday. So happy birthday to Kim, who's having a lovely time from some of the pictures she shared with us. Yes, happy birthday. A fabulous hat, um, which I'm very jealous of. And the weather (laughs) looks fantastic. So unlike in um, Montreal, Kim is very much in the sun um, as opposed to uh, a a. 3am rain delay. I Um, I just hope she's scoping out the the Vienna 500 
Is it the Vienna 500 yeah, indoor, it is. It's, yeah, indoor it's event? Yeah, it's after Stockholm. It's, it's a tasty one. Hopefully she can read my mind. Kim, I know you're enjoying the opera, but afterwards, can you go, go check out the, uh, the venue for the, uh, the Vienna 500, please? Yes, see if it's worth visiting <laughs> um, and maybe putting a good word with the tournament director if they're there. <laughs> yes. um, but the other exciting piece of news um, is that we have some Tennis Weekly merch that's dropping. Um, it's available now on our Etsy store and we will put the link in the description. Um, and what's very exciting, you might have seen us tease some of this. Joel is currently sporting a cap and he's been known to rock a tote bag at his work as well, I believe. Mm. Um, and we have got... They're all very... Je- my colleagues are all very jealous of the tote bag. Well, I mean, people... my. My colleagues are also pretty jealous of some of them. So um, they're in demand. And you say, no, we cannot give you one. You must log on to our Etsy. And so we partnered with Cripper Design on two limited edition tote bags and then um, a classic sort of logo cap. Um, And that's the one that Joel is currently rocking as we record. Um, As we always record, I think it's a new staple for him. Um, Just Mm. 15 are available of each. So we have a classic green tote bag, a retro tote bag, and all the proceeds from this will go towards supporting the podcast so that we can keep making the podcast that we love to do and also provide the podcast that we hope you also really enjoy. So please check it out on our Etsy store. And that's www.etsy.com slash shop slash Tennis Weekly Podcast. And the link will also be in the description. Yeah, very, very exciting. I Yeah, I can't lie. I... You know, I'm a bit of a fashionista and I love the hat. I, I wear it now to every recording. So, um, yeah. Listen, if you're interested. your game, Joel. The hat has improved, improved your offering. I mean, exactly. Exactly. I was like at zero and now I'm at a, and now I'm at 100. But, a solid um, five. <laughs> <laughs> we're going to be putting the link in the description. So if you would like to show your support for the show and would like some, some merch from the Tennis Weekly podcast, whether that's a hat or or a tote bag, please consider going on to our Etsy account and purchasing one of those. Um, but we are going to move on now to the tennis. And we're going to be talking about the the Masters event that was in Canada across Toronto and Montreal. We're going to be starting with the men in Toronto because, Chris, we had Yannick Sinner win his first ever Masters 1000 crown. He defeated Alex de Menor in the final, 6-4-6-1. I think this was his third masters final his first time he's managed to get over the line in terms of becoming champion what did you make of this result because it was a straightforward victory and i feel like a lot of people might be thinking this was a long time coming given what we've seen from sinner on the tour over the last few years yeah definitely i think um We've all been hoping that he would push on. He's obviously pushed on in the slams this year, which has been great. Um, Kind of his effort he had at Wimbledon. um, And it's definitely a positive trajectory for him. He's now kind of cementing himself um, as a top 10 player and really pushing towards top five. So I think that's a very positive thing. Um, He played fantastic tennis. I think the courts played pretty quickly out there because the ball was being ripped by him. I mean, he was swinging so freely uh, of both sides. It was kind of breathtaking at times, especially in that final. It was almost, um, it was a bit unstoppable uh, when you add in his movement. Um, I do think it was obviously a great week, but the thing I would say is that he does have this thing where he doesn't have the best record against those top five players. And we've talked about it before. And he did manage to escape playing a top 10 player this week. And he managed to escape playing Andy Murray. So a very impressive effort. I'm glad he's got the thousand win, but he didn't take out Murray, did he, Joel? I had a sneaking feeling that 
Andy Murray would have caused an upset there if uh, he was fit and was able to get onto the court. But um, yeah, I mean, it was still a great, still a great result for Yannick Sinner. I guess, yeah, there will be a little, there'll be a few doubters maybe when you look at that semi-final lineup in terms of Paul Sinner, Davidovic, Fakina, and De Menor, That yeah, he is top dog there, and and I liked that. You know, he he dealt with that pressure and and, and came through it, and. You know, I'd say in the past, you know, he's been in those situations and he's not actually lived up to the billing. So I think it was very good from that point of view. And it, it lays, I think, a really great platform for, you know, the US Open coming up. And, um, you know, we talk about, I think, Sinner, particularly with Carlos Alcaraz and, and really hoping that rivalry blossoms and, and kicks on. Chris, for you, is, is Yannick Sinner with this win? Do you consider him a US Open I think before this, we would have said he would have been a, maybe a US Open contender. But with this result, do you think he's still a contender? Or would you put him into maybe a, a favourite category with someone like a Carlos Alcaraz and a Novak Djokovic? Well, I mean, I think that's some pretty hefty company right there. Um, obviously, Djokovic wasn't playing. And you always have to caveat that he didn't win Wimbledon. But most tournaments he plays, he's in the final or he wins them. And him not being there definitely does leave an opening in the bottom half of the draw in this case, um, or the top half, depending on um, kind of where he is in the draw normally. Um, in terms of the US Open, Sinner does not have the best record of the slams there. I mean, uh, he has lost twice in the first he round. He was so close, though, to beating... He was. He was so close, though, to beating Carlos Alcaraz. Last was year, like a, yeah. He was like one point away. It was so close and um, he has had a fourth round in the quarterfinal there in 2021 20, and 2022. So he has some good form. He's coming off the back of a Wimbledon semi-final. Um, you put him in the mix for sure, but he's definitely not a favourite going into that because he hasn't had to beat kind of on the on the hard courts one of those top players. And it's fine losing um, at a Masters 1000 in the lead up, but we've seen how about how impressive it is and how well the top players are able to peak at the majors. And that's something that he's only just starting to kind of really bring um, to his game and his performance. So for me, I think he's definitely someone who you'd expect quarters minimum. He's made one quarter this year. So be looking for a quarter or a semi-final again. Could he make a final? Potentially. It does depend on how the draw falls. But that record against top five and some of the favourites does lead me to think that maybe he's not going to get it done in New York. Yeah, I mean, his record at Masters 1000s this season has been very impressive. He's 18 and 4 in 2023 at Masters 1000s. So um, it almost feels like to me like he has arrived at this level. And, you know, there's still questions there, I think, for Grand Slams. But I certainly think with, you know, Darren Cahill in his box, you know, the expertise that he is bringing and the fine tuning I think mm. they are bringing to his game, I think it is bringing his level up. I do think there are still some quirks to kind of work out and you know in that final I do think it was on Yannick Sinner's racket you can just see his ball striking from the back of the court he returned really well yeah I mean was overpowering you know De Menor at times particularly on the forehand side I did note there were quite a few errors coming from the you know the backhand wing that's his weakness Joel I'd say yeah, and I and I would say, you know, there were times where he was like almost pushing for it too much, want, like wanting it too much, and it was leading to these like too many errors because I don't necessarily think we saw the best of Sinner or De Menor, um, you know, in that final. I think it was just, you know, who managed the conditions, which we've seen this, you know, this week has been a big factor in, in who, you know, wins, you know, who, who steps out onto the court and who wins. 
but then yeah I guess just you know making making sure that you're you're better than your opponent and um I think Sinner although he you know maybe wasn't at 100% yeah maybe was at like I'd say 85% and Dumanor I just think his level unfortunately is just not it's his his max is not as high I think as as what obviously Sinner could potentially reach yeah, I think, as you say, like 80% for Sin, I think that's pretty reasonable. I mean, he did only make 48% of first serves, um, yeah. which is, is, is pretty low. He did obviously back that up well on behind the first and second serve. He won the 67% of second serve points, which is a pretty good number, whereas Diminar was in the 40s for both first serve and second serve points won. So uh, it's clear that kind of he was able to um, play better behind the serve. But if you're playing against some of the top players, those numbers are not necessarily going to give you enough cheap points. Um, and I don't want to be kind of too critical of Sinner because obviously he's a joy to watch and he's got a fantastic game. But when I've seen him play live, he doesn't like to go backhand line. He does cross quite a lot with the backhand. And I think it is a good shot that he has. I think he's just got to take that on a, a few more times. I totally understand playing the percentages at key moments. But I mean, how many times have we seen the top players like a Djokovic, Nadal or Murray just really go for it, lights out? Because I think that's something we see more on the WTA from Igor Rabakina and Sabalenka. They're much more prepared to take the backhand line than I think some of the top um, or top 10 uh, ATP players are. And I think it would be something that would probably um, only add to his game. I think it is exciting though because as I'm, I'm really happy in terms of how, as I said, he's he's gone and won this now. It feels like a mental block that is now over, and uh, yeah, we can see how he gets on um, at the U.S. Open. Just a quick word on Alex de Menor because he got to the final unseeded, had a very tough route. I think you know he you know he beat Cam Norrie. I watched that match um, in uh, in the first round. Uh, he defeated Taylor Fritz. Daniel Medvedev and then he he played Davidovich Fikina in in the semi-final who was very much on form came through that in straight sets what's what's your view on on Dimonor in terms of like his trajectory at the moment because yeah he's the you know, he won in in what uh did he, he got to the final in um Los Cabos in Los Cabos yeah against Sissipas got now another final here is he on an upwards trajectory or or where do you where do you where do you see him going into the US Open yeah, I think he's... Um, last year I saw him in Stockholm and I was very impressed with him. I think he's got more on his shots than people give him credit for. I think people used to kind of make fun of um, the fact his, his first serve might not be the biggest on the tour. So I think in, he has um, got a bit of a b- bad rap at times because he definitely does have... And we'll talk about this with Pagula. He definitely does have weapons. He hits the ball harder than you think, flatter than you think. He's a very effective grass quarter. Um, yeah, and I, th- and I think he can cause some problems for people. He's probably the quickest mover on the tour. I mean, his foot speed is very, very quick. And it's always been a bit of a battle between um, pushing forward as well as being defensive, um, giving yourself enough time. So uh, I think if he's one of those players who belongs in the top 20 for sure. Uh, and now he's he's 12 in the race, I believe, or 12 in the rankings, which is one place above a Nick Kyrgios. So you couldn't get two more different players, really, in terms of the discipline of Diminar versus kind of the, the shot making of Kyrgios. And I think it's, it's interesting to see that kind of at their peak ranking, they're not actually too far apart. But in terms of their style, it's just so different. So um, there's definitely a lot more to his game than people give him credit for. And I do think we might see him in the top 10 by the end of the year. Oh, really? Oh, I didn't think you were going to go that far because, yeah, to me, I I still think there's a question of is he too passive from the baseline 
and as a result, you know, lets his opponents sort of take charge. And I think for me, we saw that a little bit in in the in the match against Sinner. But having said that, you know, in in the build up, you know, you did have matches where he was playing a lot more aggressive. And I think that for me is what I've liked seeing of him this season is that I think before, you know, I've had fans come up to me and brutally, honestly tell me that he's he's a pusher. And uh, I think this season, I think he's trying to obviously kind of get out of that um, that identity and that image and have that element of aggression to add to the things that we all know are really good in his game, like the you know the foot speed and the movement. He's a good indoors player, Joel. That's why I think because he's he played he played very well in Stockholm last year when I saw him. And I think with Vienna, you know, Kim will scrape the courts out for him over there. And then um, in Paris, <laughs> I think he's got some good chances because his consistency. Um, and kind of, I mean, he doesn't get injured that much. So he's always there. He's a constant presence on the tour, grinding it out. And I think um, there are points to be won for players who stay fit until the end of the year and keep competing. Where were the Karota boys, by the way, in the, I didn't, in the, in I the didn't final? See them. Because we didn't see... Why isn't there like an American fan club? There needs to be a franchise model, a bit like Domino's Pizza or whatever. We're not sponsored, <laughs> no sponsorship. But um, no. there needs to be that you're able... Any, anyone can be recruited and then you're able to... Put on the carrot suit and cheer. (laughs) Yeah, I want to see that. I hope we do see the Karate Boys at some point. Maybe maybe at Flashy Meadows, we'll see. Um, I mean, before we go on to the women's event, I just want to talk quickly about some of the other players, some of the other top seeds. I mean, Daniel Medvedev, as I said, was defeated by Alex de Menor. He was second seed, went out in the quarterfinals. Carlos Alcaraz, the world number one, lost to Tommy Paul. I think Tommy Paul's actually defeated him twice now. Yes, he has, yeah. In Canada. His nemesis. Joe, weirdly, Tommy Paul's record, I mean, he's a great hardcore player, I think. Maybe in a similar respect to Alex de Menor, a little bit underappreciated, I think. And I think we've, you know, we talk about Taylor Fritz, we talk about Ben Shelton. No one really talks about Tommy Paul, but I think on his day, I would say he plays the best tennis out of all the Americans, Francis Tiafo also included. Well, he's definitely a big game player, I would say. That's for sure in terms of mm. his ability to turn up at, in big matches um, and find a level, an extra level, which I think at times, you know, people like Taylor Fritz haven't been able to necessarily always go into that next gear and capitalise on moments when they get these opportunities against top players. Because if you don't go out there and kind of really go after it and think you can win it, then you won't. And I think... Tommy Paul just has that attitude of, you know what, I'm going to give this a go um, and I can do it. And I think that's something that is quite unassuming about him, that he doesn't necessarily kind of talk about himself or hype himself up in the way that some other Americans do. He's kind of that, uh, I mean, he's very highly ranked, obviously reached a semi-final Australia. But I mean, when it comes to, um, you know, the US Open, it's always kind of about the the Fritzes, the TFOs. So I think it'll be interesting to see if kind of this... Uh, shielded by those two who might be taking more of the spotlight if he's able to spring some upsets and flushing meadows because uh he's not someone you want to see in your draw because he Absolutely is a bit of a, a dangerous dangerous ranking you don't want that in a round of 16 that's for sure no no he is uh one six lost four against top five players on hard courts so um yeah he's definitely going to be uh, a threat particularly with the US crowd behind him. I mean, Carlos Alcaraz, is there any worry there? I I personally think he reached the quarterfinals playing terrible tennis. Some of the worst tennis I feel like we've seen him play this season and he still managed to make a quarterfinal. Are you you sort of worried or or not not really given, given what you saw? 
Oh, it's, I mean, it's his first outing since Wimbledon. So maybe he's a bit rusty. There's been a little bit... People always talk about the fact there are a lot of things that go on after that. I mean, it's the ultimate tournament in many ways for so many people. It's, you know, reaching your the dream um, that you never thought you would. And it's a big deal. So there's a natural come down off that. And, you know, I, I don't think you can read into it too much because we've got Cincinnati next week. And the fact that he hasn't gone deep here might mean that he'll go deep next week uh, or this week now even. So I don't think we can read too much into it because, um, as you say, I mean, he can... He can even win ugly at times um, <laughs> if he needs to, and it was it was it was mm. it wasn't good. Um, but then I think where the Canadian uh, Open, I'm not sure how many people uh, tend to peak there and then peak at the US Open. I think it tends to be you know the Cincinnati performers that take their form through. I mean, it was interesting because both world number ones didn't really, I feel, show their best tennis in Canada, Igor Fiontek included, and still Igor Fiontek got to um, the semi-finals and lost to the eventual champion, Jesse Pagula. Now, Chris, this tournament was a complete mess, particularly in the latter stages when it came to scheduling. Before we get onto that, let's very quickly talk about you know what unfolded on Sunday, on yesterday. Uh, Ludmilla Samsonova had to play two matches, her semi-final against Rabakina, won that, then played Pagula, who was fresh, um, who had played her um, semi on the Saturday, and it was just a complete it was just a complete blowout, wasn't it? It was 6-1, 6 love to Pagula. She won 11 straight games. I think the first set took 21 minutes, which was the quickest set, you know, in the whole tournament. It was a bit of a letdown, um, I'll be honest. If if I was a fan there paying all that money for finals action, I mean, yes, they got two singles matches, but they did not really get a competitive set amongst it. No, um, it, it was a big shame. And I think, to be honest, uh, you have to look at kind of two two groups of people. The WTA, who Rebecca pointed the finger out here, which we can talk about after uh, we've talked mm. about some son of his comments, which I think are very true that the tournament directors are the people who make the decisions about scheduling in a big way. She said everyone knew it was going to rain at 6pm and they didn't change the schedule to make sure that the matches got through. And I think it's a case where these players are top performing athletes. And so often we've seen this year that they aren't given the opportunity to play their best tennis because of the um, whether it's the weather conditions is one thing, but it's actually the scheduling that I think is mainly to blame because not having an appropriate backup plan or moving people to smaller courts um, because you shouldn't have a player having to play two matches for their two matches on two days at the business end of the tournament because um, Samsonova was basically scheduled out of that final she didn't really have a chance in between she said she was going to physio she was getting taped up and then suddenly she was back on court again and uh it, it doesn't work like that so for me it was a big shame um Pagoodle played brilliantly but uh I think it does take the shine off because essentially the final was the semi-final yeah, agree. And I think you, you saw that in, in when, when Pagula won, she didn't celebrate or anything because to her it probably felt like a little bit of a, you know, it felt a little bit of a, a hollow victory. And, um, you know, you talk about the scheduling. I think it was interesting, like the semi-finals. I think one was in the day session. That was the, the pagula Fiontek match. And then Rabakina Samsonova was in the night session. And I know I get it from the financial point of view. You want these matches across different sessions so you can charge for, for more tickets. And I feel like we, we've seen this trend more and more of splitting out semifinals, two different sessions. But 
this is the risk you run, particularly when you, you don't have a roof on your centre court, on your stadium court. It just completely threw a spanner in the works. But the annoying thing is everyone saw this spanner coming from a mile out, didn't they? Yeah, I mean, if you see the weather is going to be torrential rain from 6pm, your evening session is not going to happen. And even if it does happen, at what point do you make the decision it's not going to happen? Because then the players are still having to warm up, they're going to have to be on site, they're going to have to get ready, even though they know that it's not happening, and we have to all pretend it might. So I think that's one thing. I think another thing is the way that the scheduling's been that they put players on. We'll talk about the Rabakina issue here where her and Kasakina, um, Sansonova had to play two matches in one day. She finished at 11.25pm and then they put on Kasakina versus Rabakina, which took over three hours, three hours and 27 minutes. 3am finish. Finish Are we in Madrid? I mean, if it's in Madrid, that's different because Spanish people are still awake then. Um, <laughs> but in Canada, they are not. Um, it was just kind of, I saw the coach, of a, one of the coaches of Rebecca in a fist pump. And I don't think it was because she won. I think it was because he wanted to go home um, and sleep because he'd been awake for so long. But it's just not how athletes should be treated because that is not good for the fans. It's not the night session that people want or that they try to sell in the first place. And it's led to the situation where Rebecca has kind of said that I have to see how I feel and evaluate the small injuries which I have now um, have to making uh, kind of the decision to be smart and so the difficulty there is not only has it caused a problem for the tournament she's in but will she play Cincinnati and if she doesn't play Cincinnati she's a major draw she's a big player so it's one of those things where it has knock-on effects so if you're the tournament director say for the National Bank Open and then Cincinnati might not be pleased with you because you scheduled Rebecca in her out of their tournament so it's tricky. And then you get Joel to the WTA issue here. So she did throw them a little bit under the bus. And I think rightly so. She said the leadership is a little bit weak for now, but hopefully something's going to change because this year it was so many situations which I can't really understand. And I think we've seen it. We've seen so many times where the ATP have made the better decision and the WTA have fallen foul of it. And, um, it's it's not good. It's not good. And I think that's something which we've talked about. But what's your take on her comments? Because it's unlike her to talk about these things. I don't think it's an isolated instance, what you know, what we've seen on, on the WTA tour. Well, I you know, I have to think back to, to Rome when they put the, the WTA Rome final on at like, you know, eleven PM and mm. you know, these decisions just don't present the WTA product in the best light and I think that's what's so frustrating because at the moment you've got what feels like a top four forming in terms of Shiontek, Rabakina, Sabalenka and Pagula and you've got this really exciting moment Coco Goff's in there as well it just doesn't present these players in in the best way possible and as a result we don't get the best matches possible and it feels frustrating because you feel like there is so much more that this product can offer but no one's going to be no one's going to be watching it, or a player is you know too tired, and I think that for me is what's kind of so frustrating about it. And as you said, the knock-on effect going from one tournament to another, well, it doesn't just affect in the moment; it affects you know the the next tournament as well. The US and I think Open. that's again what is so yeah potentially the U.S. Open. That is what's so tricky, I think, about these back-to-back Masters events. Yes, I think it can work with the Sunshine Double because that's over a longer period of time, but one week, one week to get in a 1,000 level event, to me, after what we've seen no in, in Canada, 
on no roof, you're asking for trouble. And personally, I think it's it's too much to ask for. Yeah, I completely agree. I think I've never noticed it to this extent before because this has unfortunately been a bit of a letdown of what could have been an epic tournament, you know. Um, and I think testament to the players on the WTA because they, they get on with it no matter what. Rabakina was fighting for every single point at 3.30 knowing that probably this was her out of the tournament and her hopes of winning the tournament would go with this result. Um, and then Samsonova, I mean, it must have been pretty soul-destroying for her to have played one of the best breakout tournaments of her career and to not have anything in the tank for the final. She loves playing the build-ups. She loves playing the build-ups. Washington champion last the, year. She was Open. the queen of the 500. Yeah. She was Andre Rublev <laughs> from a few years ago. But either way, I think um, that was what was so nice with Pagula, who didn't celebrate too much. And she did also say, uh, you guys need to give a round of applause to Samsonova because she's played something like five matches in three days because um, she really wanted to make it clear that it wasn't a case that Samsonova wasn't trying. She was really trying but was in a difficult situation but on Pagula what did you think because people have talked about her as not always having the most well, exciting game gonna, or this you but jumped the gun there because I? I was gonna ask you, I took your I ask you, you ask what me. i asked you about yannick sinner <laughs> in terms of like you know she's this was her second master's crown I, i'm almost kind of like i learned more from her semi-final when i think you know she defeated igish fiontek and, and i think if i'm i'm correct in saying she's beaten Igor Fiontech twice now this year and I learned a lot more I think from from that match and where she is I think going into the US Open than than the final and I, I know we, I, I think we know Pagula is this sort of cornerstone of, of consistency um, on the tour which is which is great but I do wonder with that result against Fiontech I do think she knows how to beat her and I don't see why she can't do it for example at a Grand Slam in the US Open coming up. And I think with this result, I personally would put Jesse Pagula up there with that result against Fiontech in the semi-final. Yeah, I think you would have to put her up in the mix. I think the difference that I saw some highlights this week where she was moving so well. Um, and for me, that's something which we haven't always necessarily thought was her biggest strength. Uh, her movement uh, she's very balanced when she hits and that's a really key part of her game is that she puts herself with a great base so she's able to play really well um, but I hadn't seen the shot making combined with the movement the serves and working a treat um, and she's also doing great on the double score which we've talked about it so many times but it really does help these players and I think it's helping Coco I think it's helping Pagula I think it's all this time on court is really helping her tennis IQ because she looked like she was even when it went to a third set she was composed she was down, she kept going, um, she stuck to the game plan. And I think, yeah, I think the the mystery um, has definitely been a little bit solved by her. I mean, she did get bageled by... She still needs to take the step, though. I f again, I'm yes. still a little bit like, she, yes, I know that she can do this, but can she do a grand slam? And I still think, she, I mean, she's got the perfect you know, chance and opportunity to answer that, uh, you know, at a home slam you know, coming up in in a few weeks, but we're still left with that question, I feel. Yeah, we are. And I think that would be the question is, you know, coming up to the, the US Open, I mean, we've got two fantastic women's tennis players from the US in the top 10. We've got Coco and we've got Pagula. And I guess the question is, 
will one of them be able to go deep? Because we haven't necessarily seen that in the US Open where we've had a US player going as deep for kind of a number of years now. I mean, we've had obviously Serena's had great success there. Uh, we've had Venus made some semifinals, I think uh, it was recently as 2017. We've had Sloan pick up the title. So I think it would be great to see, you know, for the, the nature of the spectacle with US fans, I think it would be great to see some of these guys go deep. I mean, this this week in Canada, we had both world number ones knocked out by Americans, Jesse Pagula and, and Tommy Poole. So, yeah, it, it shows that it can like it can be done. Um, but yeah, for Pagula, I still think we're going to have to. Yeah, we're going to have to we're going to have to wait and see. But um, yeah, it was a good result for her. What about Collins, Joel? She's back in business. I know, right? She got to the quarters, lost to, to Shiontek. I watched, again, I stayed up late to watch that match and uh, I loved her. I loved her like feistiness come out against, uh, what was it, against Zachary? Had she a little told, bit of a shout. Her to, I think she shut told her, her mouth. She told yeah. her off, didn't she? She really yeah. did. And yeah. Sakari. You I shut think, your mouth. Yeah. yeah, I kind of feel like um, <laughs> she had a point, but I'm not sure I'd expressed it like that. But, you know, she lit up tennis <laughs> Twitter um, and, I mean, Sakari probably should have got disqualified for hitting the ball into the crowd. We've seen people be disqualified qualified for less um i guess it wouldn't be right not to mention another uh, player who had a fantastic um return to the tour in the form of Karolin Wozniacki picking up um a first round win and then really pushing Wimbledon champion Von Drusova in that, that second, second set. set yeah, yeah it was second set mm. very promising and she plays Svitolina unfortunately Svitolina this evening I feel like that's a very tough first round but what did you make of the Danes' return to the tour? Yeah, I think it was as good as one hoped. She came through in a first round match very, very well um, against uh, Kimberly Burrell. I thought, Cruised. regardless of who her opponent is, like just going back to the tour, that's no mean, you know, that's no mean feat. So I was impressed with how emphatic that win was. And then, yeah, pushing Von Drusova in that second set. It gave me cause for optimism, I think, um, because, you know, Von Drusova is a Grand Slam champion. She's a Wimbledon champion. So, um, yeah, I was impressed. And, uh, yeah, we'll see We'll see how, see how she gets on. I think she's going to, what, need a few more wild cards to maybe just get her back onto the tour and find her feet. But certainly from the tennis she showed, I certainly feel like that is... Um, that is doable. She's striking the ball well, I was going to say, just quickly. She's mm. hitting big off both sides. She's definitely improved that forehand. The technique has improved. She's doing more damage with it. <laughs> well, so that make... was always the worry, wasn't it? That it was, was always, always the worry, the forehand. Yeah, it did always sit up a bit. And I think um, the perfect sort of ball height for Ostapenko, I remember that quarterfinal at the Roland Garros, where I just thought she was going to come through and, and she did it. And I think that must have been 2017 that year. But I thought she did... Um, a great job for returning. She's in great physical condition. And uh, again, we got a lot of dangerous players in the early rounds at the US Open. I was just going to add, Chris, I forgot to say this about 10 minutes ago, but the highlight for me personally in that final between Jesse Pagula and Sam Sonova was Cotton Eye Joe being played <laughs> after Pagula won. I don't know if you saw this or if our listeners saw this. Um, in the match between Pagula and Sviontek, all of a sudden the DJ, I think, accidentally played Cotton Eye Joe during, during a point 
it was i mean i thought it was hilarious i don't think the players were particularly amused but um the dj then saw the funny side of it and brought it out tried uh, to redeem in themselves the final at the end yeah it was great i i absolutely loved it i think it certainly was um a moment and i think probably a moment of light relief that was kind of needed <laughs> at the end of that final because it reminded me of like those gongs that went off in like andy was it andy murray nishikuri at a us oh, open yeah. there was something ago. yeah there was like, definitely it's just like random noises that happened i would have liked to dance though that was the only thing that was missing for me we had coco do a dance last weekend i just think it's the perfect one to kind of get the <laughs> arm out the elbow going but we never quite yeah. saw it it was more of a <laughs> followed her around rather than something that she embraced the only thing that could have maybe topped it if it was like a danielle collins on the court in like a really fiery moment and just sort of break the tension and break the ice got nigeria got nigeria i imagine how that response would be shut your mouth dj it would have been so good (laughs) it would have been great it would have been great but um we're gonna take a quick break now but join us in the second half where we will be discussing all the davis cup team announcements plus having a look at the Cincinnati draws including the return of Novak Djokovic to the North American hard courts so do not go anywhere cool fact a crocodile can't stick out its tongue also you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states United Healthcare short-term insurance plans underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company offer flexible budget-friendly coverage for you learn more at uh1.com Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. And now we are going to move on to a mysterious player. Have I got that right, Chris? You have got a mysterious player for me. I have indeed. Um, Joel, it's time you get back in the hot seat. You've had a number of weeks (laughs) off. I'm so scared. I'm scared, scared of going back in the hot seat. That's why I'm the quiz master. I want to cower away as as answering the question. You don't have the slam spoons of shame right now. They are firmly in in my hands, (laughs) unfortunately. But yes, we have a mysterious player. Um, You actually have a very good track record at mysterious players. So you should be rejoicing that this isn't one where I'm setting par. Um, For anyone who has not encountered us do a mysterious player as par for the courts... The way that it works is that I will reveal a number of clues after each clue. Joel will get to guess or has to guess, even if he doesn't know um, who he thinks the mysterious player is that I'm describing. Um, And hopefully he will get it. But if he doesn't, another clue will be given. Um, So, Joel, are you ready? And And our listeners will just collectively shake their heads. They'll shake their heads. They'll do much better and they'll tell us on Twitter. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, right. I'm ready. It does start a bit tricky. Um, I haven't gone for a date of birth this time, but I have won 34 career titles. 34. Uh, So you've probably been around quite a while. Are they past or present? Um, Andre Agassi. I will continue. <laughs> okay. My career high was world number two. Mm, okay. Gustavo Curtin? I feel, I'm going old school, but I feel like that's maybe plausible. You seem to... That's a, a theory you've really got in your head that these people are 
are non-active <laughs> players. But um, <laughs> I can tell you it's not Gustavo Curtin. I do believe he was world number okay. one. Um, so I think Paul Gugo there, I think he okay. he had done that. But um, this will this might help you, Joel. I won the ATP Newcomer of the Year in 1988 and the Most Improved Player in 1989. Mm, okay, so it's definitely a male player and it's definitely the generation before I have had my brain in. Um, what what years again were they? 1988 for Best Newcomer and 89 for Most Improved. I think I know who it is. I think I know who it is. Who do you think it is? Is it Magnus Norman? <laughs> oh, that's a that's a good guess. He is a former world number two. Um, I have to say, unfortunately, we will continue. Oh, I thought I had it. I thought I had you there. The clues are not bad. So, I'm the youngest player to win a main draw match at the US Open. In 1987, when I was 15 years old. I think, okay, I think this is right. I think, is it Michael Chang? It's Michael Chang. It is. Yes. yes. Fantastic yes. effort, Joel. Unbelievable. I just, well, as soon as you said youngest at US Open, I, I, he was an unbelievable talent. When he was when he was in a, he, he was has a all of the youngest records. And the next clue was going to be that in 1989, uh, he became the youngest ever male slam winner when he won the French Open, aged 17 and 110 days, um, defeating Stefan Edberg in that final in five sets. And then the final clue, if you really weren't going to get it, was going to be that he's the long-term coach um, or coaching uh, assistant to Kaney Shikuri. That was the final one, which I thought oh, okay. Okay. you might remember because he was in the box yeah. for all of those big matches, um, but he yeah. no longer travels yeah. with him. But a fantastic talent that quite often doesn't get the recognition he deserves. I also think he used to hold the record for longest Grand Slam match before Isner Mahu. I'm I'm 85% certain he, he held the record uh, for longest um grand slam match in terms of minutes but um well, we'll, yeah he we was will a phenomenal fact check talent that. we'll fact check it at some point um i should have used that as a clue <laughs> but do tell us listeners did you get it before joel did you get it from 34 career titles if you did <laughs> um maybe we need to send you a mug because that is impressive but joel you've redeemed yourself you've survived another week uh, in yeah, the hot seat i survive i live i live to fight on right i want to go back to being quiz master a lot more a lot more comfortable you've bought yourself uh, at least three weeks off <laughs> <laughs> right let's move on to the tennis weekly mailbag and we had sheila get in touch with us on email this week and her question was this with the lionesses in the semi-finals of the world cup and in canada last week the players building fantasy hockey teams my question is who would be in your 11 aside tennis weekly wta fantasy football team Ooh. <laughs> very topical sheila i am just to say i am dreadful i have so many of my friends at the moment be like joel set up a a fantasy football team for the for the premier league that's just started and i just can't get involved because my my team's just so your team is tennis let's be honest your team better be tennis so mm. we have 11 <laughs> players i believe then joel we we, we have listeners mm. we have put our heads together for this um 
to try and come up with the best team because we had some fantastic answers from some of the players on their fantasy hockey teams. Um, but shall we kick it off with our goalkeeper, Joel? There's only one place, Chris, you can start with goalkeeper, and that is Iga Sviontek with <laughs> all the hand movements at the net. At the net, um, she's great I think at the she net. would make a great goalkeeper, exactly. I mean, that's a, that's a really good one. Um, <laughs> in the defensive lineup now, so I thought left back, it's got to be a left-hander. I've gone for Angie Kerber because I just think she's solid as a rock. Yeah. She's a wall when it comes to defense. And I figured that nothing's going to get past her. Yeah. I'm allowed that one. Yeah. Yeah. Can see that. Um, I've got in the center back position, Arena Sabalenka, because I just think she's so intimidating <laughs> and, nothing's getting past scare- yeah. and scary, composing. Um, I think you'd need that. You just need that that presence yeah. i think in that position she does have striker energy as well though but i will allow you that i've also yeah. gone like center forward she could be like forward, center yeah. forward as well yeah, yeah. well maybe she'd be a yeah a center in netball <laughs> she's the keystone but um different sport but in the in the center center back i've gone for jessica pagula because i do think she's played some fantastic defensive skills great on the doubles court as well and her her dad can bring all the money in to get all the transfer in the transfer market right well we'll make sure that everyone stays on the team no one leaves Um, yeah, and I've got. I'm gonna go complete the back line with with Haddad Maya as well. I think she's oh, got some. Haddad Maya, yeah, she's good in defense. Yeah, I think she'll have some. She's just she's just great at everything. So if uh, it goes I think to extra time, she's still football. got a lot of energy. That's for sure. <laughs> and then I've got in the midfield. I've gone for Wozniacki left mid, centre mid, Krajikova. I think that they are okay. great bankers in that, and that backhand of Wozniacki is going to be very valuable down the left wing. <laughs> Yeah, and I'm I'm going to add Svitolina as well into the mix. There. I think mm. she'd be great in sense, particularly I think in in centre mid, just sort of running the show. She's such a universally loved player. I feel like she can just All you know talk game. to defence. Yeah, talk to defence, talk to the attack. Um, yeah, perfect position for her. And then who have you got completing the lineup oh, in yeah, midfield? Sorry, sorry. How could I forget? Danielle Collins has to be in there just for some feisty. Maybe we'll make her captain. Captain? Do you think mm. she'd be captain? I think she gets sent off before. Probably. Uh, I think We've maybe she'd be a bit of a liability. Already. Yeah, I think she'll be most prone to getting a yellow card, but she, for me, will get like properly stuck in. So uh, I've got Daniel Collins as well. And in and our who, forward who position, you Sheila. Yeah. yeah, I've got Coco Goff I've gone for because she's very speedy. And if she gets that break, I think she will do fantastic. And she will definitely um, be able to pull away from the opposition. And then finally, Joel, in our 11 aside, who have we got? Onzi Ball. It's got to be. She's just so well loved. The fans the fans will get Crafty. behind Onzi Ball mm, easily. Trick shots. And I think she, if, if she's got, yeah, if she's going to show off the trick shots on the tennis court, she can do some nutmegs Made and rabonas, for I think, a highlight on the, on reel. Exactly. And then I did write, exactly. sorry, I've got one extra on the bench as Radicano until she's fit. I have to. I couldn't not. <laughs> she's on every team I'll yes, ever pick. Definitely. Well, I mean, on the subject of England v Australia, we do have Davis Cup nominations in because uh, we are going to be in Manchester coming up um, in September where GB and Australia will be. France and Team Switzerland are also there. So we do have the teams that have been announced. So GB, Cam Norrie, Dan Evans, Andy Murray, Neil Skupski. Switzerland's going to have Stan Vavrinka. Dominic Stricker is also going to be there. Australia will have Alex Dumanor. 
Jordan Thompson, Max Purcell, which I think is quite a handy third singles He's player. Storm, Storm Hunter of the group, you know? Yeah. Secret yeah. weapon. Oh, yeah. And doubles as well. Exactly. Kokinakis and Ebden. And in France, Manorino, Umber, Fee, uh, Royer, Vassalin and Nicola Mahou. I didn't really, I didn't realise Nicola Mahou was still going on the, uh, on the old French team. But um, yeah, what do you, Chris, what do you, what do you make of that? I mean, the, as I say, GB squad... They've only announced four at the moment, so Norrie, Evans, Murray back in, and Neil Skupski. Are you are you happy with that? Where's Jack Draper? That's all I have to say. Always where's Jack <laughs> I know, Draper? Because right? um, if he's going to make on, the on Olympics the with Radicanu for me, you know, <laughs> he needs to start playing some Davis Cup. But mm. um, but no, I'm, I'm pleased to see the lineup because I think we're finally making and selecting for a team. Because I think it's so important with Davis Cup that you do pick a team that plays well together. And if Salisbury and Skupski are not a natural doubles pairing, it doesn't make sense because we've seen time and time again that some of the if you are looking for the best players on on a court, so many times singles players are actually better at doubles than the doubles specialists, but they just don't commit to playing it. And I'm not saying that that's true in all cases, but if you're taking Andy Murray on a doubles court in height of his career, I think. He gives a very good option there as well, playing with Dan or playing with Neil. Um, and then I do think you do, we are missing, we need another singles player in there because uh, I do think that you want to make sure that you have enough people that you can uh, share the load throughout the week because we've seen that you can't all do a Benjic and Teichman at the Billie Jean King Cup and just play two players in every match. You have to have strength and depth. So I think we've got a pretty solid team there, solid base. I think that I mean very unexpected to see what will come from France but the big threat is from the number two seeds in Australia because uh Agreed. they've got some real tricky tricky players there and Kokonakis we know on his day can as the fourth player I mean he can do some damage and Matt Ebden's still handy on a singles court at times um, so and Purcell was very handy I mean he was very unlucky I think to to not defeat um, Andy Murray in uh in, in Canada so um yeah I feel like they are the team to beat but you can obviously never count out GB at home and with two teams going through to the finals you'd like to think GB could hopefully kind of sneak through it's a tough group but then I also saw it's a tougher group um out in Valencia I believe because I saw that Alcaraz and Djokovic have both been named Joel Mm, um yeah so that might be go straight from the US Open final not saying it will happen but wouldn't bet against it and then have a repeat in Valencia that would be what I mean, that would be wild. We don't normally get, I feel, real big, heavy hitting solo singles matchups in, in, the Olympics, in like Joel. team tennis. Yeah. It's the Olympic well, qualification. Uh, do you remember we had that we had that one great match between Nadal and Djokovic in the ATP Cup? That's to be honest, to me, that's like the only thing that was great about the <laughs> ATP Cup was probably that singles match. But it just doesn't happen that often. We have to sort of cling ourselves to these potential hopes. But um it, it could very well happen, couldn't it? It could, it could indeed. And um, there's also the announcement in terms of another group, which has the US in, where it's being led by Francis TFO and Tommy Paul. Um, but noticeable absence from that team uh, is Taylor Fritz. But they, there's also Mackenzie McDonald, Rajiv Ram and Austin Krychak. So they're prioritizing the doubles there. But do you think Fritz didn't make himself available for this straight after the US Open? Yeah, potentially. I just think that they've got enough they've got enough depth there that um he'll play the finals but doesn't to, need to, to play the qualifier it. yeah it is tricky though because like they're all the way in split and uh yeah it's a it's a long slog isn't it if you're potentially going deep 
Um, you well, know, not in, if you're in New born York, a turret so, and you're going home anyway. Well, true. Yeah, I mean, I am expecting though, as always with these sorts of things, there'll be some dropouts inevitably along the way and and, and replacements, etc. Um, but certainly, the US, given their team, they look like they're the they're the favourites in in Croatia. Definitely, I'd agree with that. But nevertheless, a very good lineup across the board, and it looks like this year heading up to an Olympic cycle, um, there's going to be some great Davis Cup action. Let's look at Cincinnati very, very quickly. Defending champions here. Again, a couple couple of surprising names. Caroline Garcia and Borna Choric. Let's look at the men's draw quickly. I mean, the big talking point here, Chris, is Novak Djokovic is back. Um, saw him on the practice courts. It's like, again, he's like in this sort of disciple territory where <laughs> m- m- like thousands of fans are watching his his practices. Well, I think he was even surprised well. He does by... look like a disciple, doesn't yeah. he? Yeah, <laughs> but I mean, I think he was even surprised by how the the reception he was getting in in Cincinnati. But um, yeah, what do you make of of the draw that we've got? As I said, Djokovic is the second seed, right at the bottom of the draw. Carlos Alcaraz is at the top, and then you've got Sissipas and Medvedev making up the top four. Where 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 are your eyes drawn to um, in this draw? Well, I mean, I'd love to see a Sinner Djokovic quarterfinal I think that would be really Mm. interesting heading to the US Open that's for sure um I think I'm also looking at the likes of um uh Alcaraz to see how he'll do this week I think he's got a pretty decent draw and but Tommy Paul again he's floating there he's seeded to play him yep that'd be in the third round I believe so it's not easy, but I would say, Joel, I've been looking at some of these first round encounters and we've got Seb Korda versus Borna Choric and he's defending champion. That's not a draw you want to see on US soil. We've got Zverev versus Dimitrov and we've got Berrettini, Felix Ojeda-Aliassime. So, I mean, it is absolutely stacked. There's nowhere to hide. And Yeah, I agree. And I think in contrast, actually, to Carlos Alcaraz, I actually think Novak Djokovic's draw is pretty tricky because he could have his first match back could be... Davidovich Fikina, he got to the semi-finals in in Canada. Alex de Menor, who was the finalist, could, speed, that. could also be there. Yeah, I know. It's just it's just crazy. I I don't Monfils know about is you, there, but to Norrie's me, there. goodness. Yeah, to me, honestly, de Menor and Davidovich Fikina are like the two players on the men's in the men's draws. They just perennially seem to be unseeded, and it just perennially seems to be unfair. I feel to everyone else. If I had to say right now, what is Davidich Fikina's rank? What would you say, Joel? <laughs> I don't know. I feel like he can. He plays depends borderline on the top Dep- ten tennis yeah. at times. Yeah, it depends on the week. Is he um, a top thirty or is he a top ten? He's twenty one in the live rankings. I'll say that wow. would be his career high. Okay. So we'll see. <laughs> he should be seeded though, surely. Okay. Well, I'm. I mean, right? He should be. He should be in um, the US at least. But moving on to the. Uh, <laughs> Moving on to the women's draw. I mean, we've got Sviontek as the top seed. Sabalenka is there. All the usual names, really. Jesse Pagula, Rabakina make up the top four seeds. We'll wait and see if Rabakina does play it because, yeah, it's been a quite a quick turnaround, um, you know, for her um, in terms of the amount of tennis that, you know, she has played. Onzibor um, is there. She wasn't in, in Canada, uh, in Montreal, but she is back as the fifth seed. Again, Chris, where, where's your head turning to here? Because there are also some very familiar matchups that we got in Montreal happening in Cincinnati. 
There are. I'll tell you what. I am so relieved being 5-2 down. Sloane Stevens has now won. She is through. So oh, wow. I can I can now look at the rest of the draw. And from my quick glance, Danielle Collins versus Pavlyuchenkova. Pavlyuchenkova, quarterfinal at the French. We haven't seen her in action much since. Um, Could get a DC Sviontek rematch in the second round. Exactly. We've got Venus versus Kudometova that's on right now. And then we also have some very, very tasty encounters. I mean, it is just so stacked, these draws at this stage of Haddad Meyer versus an unseeded Mukova, um, as well as Jennifer Brady, Donovekic. And Jennifer Brady played fantastically. We've got, you know, Azarenka Krajikova. I just think this is, um, this is wide open. And I think we will see some upsets. But where are you looking, Joel? I do like that you spoke about Jen Brady, because I think a lot of the... The, the focus on the on the returns what you know has has been on you know Svitolina Caroline Wozniacki but Jen Brady coming back she is I forgot I'm almost like I forgot she got to a Grand Slam Grand Slam final having hard, done hard quarantine so if she's fully yeah. fit imagine what she can do I know so I'm I'm excited to see her back on the on the court um yeah I think I'm looking I'm think I'm looking yeah Igor Sviontek I'm keen to see Rabakina as well to see if she pulls out maybe even Linda Noskova Linda Noskova's got she's had a week off yeah and she's got uh Samsonova um in the first round I well again we'll have to wait and see if if Samsonova plays. I hope I hope she does and I hope she can recuperate and, and maybe Cincinnati can give her a little bit of as much time as possible. Um but yeah, I think she will be who knows, maybe she'll be another another handful this week. Yeah. I mean it's anyone's and I think that it would be great to see mm. Jen Brady, you know, pick up some points and some momentum because um yeah, agree. I do think we're gearing up for the US Open to be a really interesting slam because we haven't had the heights across the women's necessarily throughout the year. And I think we really could do with some big clashes and some really excellent night sessions on Arthur Ashe. I think the the WTA definitely needs it. I mean, for the US Open, I believe the cutoff for points for seeding is, is Cincinnati. So it's like now or never. And I think that's particularly important to players like, uh, you know, and Andy Murray's is very much on the cusp, probably doesn't want to rely on withdrawals happening um to get a to get a seeding so uh it'll be fascinating to see what takes place we're going to end chris as usual with some predictions i would like you to tell me who have you got i know we just did champions i think last time round in for canada but for cincinnati give me your two finalists and champion for the men and for the women i'm gonna go for medvedev and i'm gonna go for Medvedev Rublev, I'm going to go in for the final with the Medvedev champion. Um, I think Djokovic will peak at the US. And then for the women, I think that Goff's got a great draw. Um, I don't think Rabakin is going to play. So I'm going to go for Goff and I'm going to go for Sabalenka. And I'm going to say, I'm going to say Sabalenka is going to get it. Okay, fair enough. They were real okay. time. I hadn't done that in advance. All listeners, please forgive me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm backing out of well, it now. Well, I, I have thought long, long and hard about and this. We'll still get it wrong. And, <laughs> yeah, I'm going Tommy Paul Novak Djokovic in the men's final. Okay, he's lost the plot. <laughs> um, Djokovic, Djokovic winning. Um, and then I've got similar to you. I've got Coco Goff, Jesse Pagula. Um, mm. in my ladies final it'd be like a friendly final you know doubles doubles partners had a great match very close match in Who's Canada winning? I think maybe we could be on for a repeat 
I'm going Coco Goff this time. Um, I think we there's more splitting there's more, them, to, yeah. there's more okay. to come. There's more to come from Coco Goff. So uh, yeah, going. I'm going that, but they will inevitably inevitably be wrong because they're they're never right. Kim will get it right. I'm sure Kim's got Kim it right. Kim will get Vienna, it right. Yeah, we Vienna, need to. Yeah, she's got it right. <laughs> to be in Vienna she's and miss predictions. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's all really exciting. All systems go in the second Masters event pre-US Open. The one I feel everyone is really can look at and, and see and gauge what people's form is going into uh, the final Grand Slam of the year. So it's all very, very exciting. But listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come from the ATP and WTA tours. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And you can also follow the show on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TikTok, and YouTube at the handle Tennis Weekly Pod. We also have our Etsy shop where you can get our limited edition exclusive Tennis Weekly merchandise. That's etsy.com forward slash shop forward slash Tennis Weekly Podcast. You can email the show tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out the website tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back next Monday at Tennis Weekly HQ to catch up on all the action from Cincinnati. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.